I prepared a message, and my thought was, can anybody remember what Pastor John preached last Sunday? Yes, it was the Word. So, Pastor John preached about the fact that we have dominion, that we have full authority. And he ended up with Psalm 103, verse 20, where he says that all the angels, but they listen to the voice of his word. So I picked up on that voice of his word, and this is where my message for today will start. So I'm going to talk about the voice of his word. Great. So you can go on to Exodus 4, verse 8. Now, I really tried to shorten the message so that I can fit it in in 30 minutes. It was more than seven pages. It was going for eight pages, and I didn't know how to shorten it. And I got this bright idea. I used smaller font, so it came into six pages. <clears throat> but then I realized I have to speak faster. So in Exodus 4 verse 8, God said, If they will not believe you or heed the voice of the testimony of the first sign, they may believe the voice or the witness of the second sign. So I thought, what is this voice of the sign? So the sign is, of course, is something visual. So somehow... Spiritually, it has a voice. Let's go and have a look what happened just prior to this. So just before, this was happening at the burning bush. So I'm just going to put here the burning bush. What does the burning bush represent? It is Israel. Okay. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed. Israel was in slavery that tried to reduce its numbers, and yet... They increased in numbers. So the burning bush is Israel. So what do we see in Exodus 2 verse 23? After a long time, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites were sighing and groaning because of the bondage. In other words, they were under such a severe slavery that they were now groaning after the king because this is the moment of relief to them. And they kept crying, and their cry because of their slavery again ascended to God. Next verse, please. And God heard their sighing and groaning and earnestly remembered his covenant with Israel, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So let me, do you see the word God heard? He heard their groanings. Now in the next verse, and God saw, plus he saw, and he took knowledge. So other translation says, he knew. This word knew in Hebrew is yada. It is exactly the same as what we see. And Adam knew his wife and she conceived. So this, this knowing, this form of knowing is intimate. It's an intimate knowing. It is, and please, I know somebody was offended once. They said very angrily at me. You tell me that I should have sex with God. Now, please, if you think an intimate relationship is all about sexual activity, then you have a poor, poor relationship. So, but just imagine how offended God is about that thought. Now, he knew about it. He understood. He experienced. That yada means God experienced what they were going through. All right? So this is more than just taking note of it. He heard, he saw, and he knew. So God experienced it, and he became concerned. 
Now, let's go and look at um, Exodus 3 verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction, so he's repeating it, of my people. I've heard their cry, so he's repeating that. And he said, because of their taskmasters and oppressors, and I know their sorrows and their sufferings and trials. So he's confirming what he just said one chapter before. So he's repeating it. And in fact, he repeats this very same thing in chapter 6 again. So God is making sure that Moses and Israel know that he heard, that he saw, and that he knows about this. He experienced it himself, and he's concerned about it. So let's have a look at um, next verse, verse 9. Now behold, the cry of Israel has come up to me, and I've also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 16. He says, now go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, And the Lord your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited. God visited. There's actually two Hebrew words that is being used there. Bakot, bakati. Bakot, bakati. That's for remember. Now, it's not the normal word that is used whenever it's translated as remember. Normally, they would use the word zakar, like in Zachariah. That is the word for remember. But pakot pakati means that God is calling to remembrance. He's remembering that he actually has a covenant. So God is now saying, I can remember now that I have a covenant, and now I'm committed to this. So it's more than just recalling something. He's now got a recalling of a commitment to redeem them. Right, let's continue with that verse. So God is saying, I've surely visited you. So we know that it is to redeem. And I've seen what is done to you. He saw what? Everything done. Let's make this personal. To you, me. He saw everything that was done to you and to me. Okay? Am I right to take this personal? Yeah. I'm not overstepping a boundary here. I will do pretty soon. Now, Moses objected. Exodus 4 verse 1. He's now objecting. And he says, Behold, they will not believe me. So he's now saying, God, they won't believe me. And God's response to this is, I'm going to give you three signs. Now, this way, the verse that I started off with, 4 verse 8, comes in. God is now saying, if they do not believe or the voice of the first sign, they may believe the voice of the second sign. So God is optimistic. You know, over time they will believe it. Spoiler alert here. They did believe. Let's go and look at Exodus 4 verse 31. And the people believed. What did they believe? First of all, they believed the Lord had visited them. He said that. Well, he, he actually said they will believe it. So this is what they believed. That the Lord had visited them and that he looked in compassion upon their affliction. And this we see. He heard, he saw, he knew, he experienced it. And when he visited them, he remembered Pakot Pakati that he has a commitment to redeem them. And what did they do? They bowed and they worshipped. This was their response. They bowed and they worshipped. 
So there's two things that Israel had to believe. They had to believe that God is concerned about their past. And they had to believe that God is committed to their future. Those are the two things that they ought to have seen. So why is their past so important? Well, let me paint you this picture. So if you're a victim of abuse, and now you can think of any form of abuse that you want to think of, sickness, a divorce, uh, losing your job, losing income, verbal abuse, a relationship that goes wrong, in any form of abuse. You know, I've, I've mentioned cancer, you know, any sickness, anything, you fill in the blank. You're a victim of abuse. And the abuser is protected by law. You can't even lay a charge against them. If you do, they say, no, you're lying. It's a false charge. The abuser continues with his life as if it's normal. Now that's what they did to you has no impact on them. How does it make the victim feel? Hopeless. I have no hope. My life might just as well end. So if we don't deal with the past, with the wrongs of the past, you are stuck in a mentality of being a victim. Okay? That is why God had to deal with the past before he could deal with their future. So what are the signs that God gave them? He gave them three signs. I'm just going to write down, I'm going to try and impress you, I'm going to try and write them in order. Three signs. But to explain it to you, I'll start at number three. Because it's the easiest one to explain. Okay, four verse nine. But if they do not believe these two signs, okay, so God has already spoken about the two signs, now he says, but if they don't believe these first two, or listen to your voice, then take some water out of the Nile and pour it onto the ground, and it will become blood. So water, Nile, becomes blood. Now remember, this sign is supposed to cause Israel to believe that Moses heard from God that God is concerned about their past and their future. How does this remind them? So let's go and have a look at Exodus 1 verse 22. What is the worst thing that happened to Israel? It wasn't the fact that they were under slavery. It wasn't the fact that it was harsh. Look at this. Pharaoh charged his people. Now please take note of the words. I checked it in every translation and in the Hebrew. He didn't lay this charge or this instruction on his army or his officers. It was the civilian Egyptians. They had to execute this. Saying to them, every son born to the Hebrews thou shalt cast into the river Nile, and every daughter you shall allow to live. How do you get the people of your country to commit genocide? How do you convince your people that it's okay? How do you get them to hate the other nation, xenophobia? How do you get them to hate another nation so much so that they would do it? Can you imagine an Israeli couple in their house at night and a band of vigilante Egyptians storm into the house. They hold down the husband and the wife. They rip the baby's son out of their arms and they are fighting. The parents are fighting to get their child back, but they are powerless against these people and they hear their son cry and the Egyptians walk off into the darkness and they can hear the faint cry of their child 
as, the, as the child is moved towards the Nile and thrown into the Nile River. The next day, the parents cannot even lay a charge because they have no evidence. They have nothing. They are so helpless. God said, I experienced it. I know what it feels like. I was there. That's why I gave them the third sign. He says, I know what you went through. You know, the Nile River was, and even today is, the main source of the economy of Egypt. So they used the economy to commit a crime and hide it. Doesn't that sound like a lot of countries today who use the economy to commit a crime and hide it? I'm just thinking about abortion. God says, I heard it. I saw it. I know about it. I experienced it. I'm committed to redeem it. Second sign. It's more difficult to see, but let's look at it. Exodus 4 verse 6. And the Lord said to him, put your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, his hand was leprous, white as snow. God said to him, put your hand back into your bosom. And he pulled it out and it was clean. How is this a sign? This is definitely more difficult. So we can go and have a look at Numbers 12. Just to give you some background, Aaron and Miriam had an issue with the Ethiopian woman that Moses married. A bit of xenophobia, exactly what Pharaoh had done to the Israelites, they are now doing against Moses' wife. Moses was so meek, he did not defend himself. And the scripture says, suddenly God appeared to them and said to them, principal's office now. I would have died if I could, if I was Miriam or Aaron. If God says, now, get to my office. So they get there, stand at the tabernacle. God comes down in the cloud at the door of the tabernacle. He gives them a mouthful. And then when the cloud departed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. Aaron looked at Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Next verse. And he said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I plead you, lay not the sin upon us which we have done so foolishly and with that we have sinned. Let not her be as one already half decomposed when she comes out of her mother's womb. The CEV and four other literal translations says, Let her not be like one born dead. Okay, so the leprous skin in numbers tells us it has something to do with one born dead. Let's have a look. Exodus 1 verse 16. Pharaoh charges the midwives. Now there's only two of them that we read, Shepra and Puach. But apply your mind. When Israel left Egypt, there were 600,000 men, excluding the children. That doesn't say anything about the women. But how could you only have two midwives in that size of nation? So it's only two that the Bible tells us that didn't do what Pharaoh had told them to do. The rest did it. This is what Pharaoh told them. When you act as midwives to the Hebrew woman and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, thou shalt kill him, the rabbi said secretly. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. So the midwife is to secretly kill the boy and hand the boy to his mother saying, He's stillborn. The majority of midwives did this. Only two are recognized for not doing this. 
Now, can you imagine from a typical stillbirth number of, I think the highest right now last year was something like 2.5% or 2.5 out of 1,000 births in India. That was the highest ever recorded to almost 50%. So what does God say about this? He says, I heard it, I saw it, I know. And I'm committed to redeem you from that. That is why he gave them the second sign. Now the first sign, let me just first, before I go too fast, okay, the first sign was even more difficult to figure out than the second sign. That's why I started with the third sign. So let's go to Exodus 4 verse 2. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff, a rod. So the Hebrew word, matai, is a matai. Matai means two things. Actually, it means one thing, but it, spiritually it has a second meaning. It means branch, and that's why we talks of a staff or a rod, because it's a branch. You know, it's pretty evident. But it means a tribe. It means a people. If you're from that branch, I'm from that branch of the Blachnot family. If you're from that branch of the Brown family, that is your people. So he asks Moses, what is in your hand? And he says, my people. Exodus 4 verse 20, when Moses goes out with his wife Zipporah and his sons, then we see, and he takes the rod of God. Now it's God's people. It's no longer his. Now he goes out with God's people. Now yesterday at the prayer meeting I said, I don't have time to add this, but I think you guys are eager enough to listen to something else. Just before Moses entered Egypt that evening, he stopped at an inn. God started to kill Moses. Moses was now about to set the Egyptians free. God starts to kill him. Because Moses, and I have a whole sermon on that, Moses' identity crisis that he was going through. He was acting as a vigilante, as an agent on behalf of God. He was not seeing himself as being an Israelite. He was acting as a loose agent. God starts to kill him because he says, you cannot do this if you're not one of us. Zipporah grabs a sharp stone, circumcises her son, takes the foreskin, presses it at the nether regions. I know the Bible says at the feet of Moses, but it is a euphemism at his genitals. And she said, a bridegroom of blood are you to me. God stops the killing. The principle, Moses was saved by the blood of his son. So there's the principle established. Let's move on. That was not part of the message. Let's move on. 4 verse 3. God says to him, cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. So this is the sign. Staff. Yeah, let me just put here, ground, serpent. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to look at what happens here. Moses fled from it. He ran away from it. So when he saw it was a serpent, he ran away. Um, we don't need to go to those verses, but basically you know that God told him, pick it up on its tail, and he picked it up, and it became a staff. So it never really was a serpent. It was all the time a staff, just looked like a serpent. Your visuals can sometimes deceive you. It may look very 
dangerous. It may look as if this thing is going to do this, but it's, it's not what it is about. Okay? Now let's look at Exodus 1 verse 7, because here we have to see how does this sign, the staff on the ground that turns into a serpent, we have to see how does this remind Israel about anything. Exodus 1 verse 7, but the descendants of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. They multiplied. The Bible already said they increased abundantly. And now it says, and they multiplied. And then it says, and they grew exceedingly strong. It's three times it's saying the same thing. That they multiplied, then they multiplied, then they multiplied. And the land was full of them. So it's saying it in a fourth way. that These guys were just increasing and increasing and increasing. Let me read it to you in a very literal translation. And the sons of Israel had reproduced, and they swarmed. The Hebrew word there for swarming is vayishrethu. So let's just go to Genesis 8 verse 17, where this idea of vayishrethu is repeated. I want to show something to you. Bring forth, okay, this is Noah. God tells him, bring forth every living thing that is with you. Now, he's talking about things, so he's not talking about humans. He's talking about things. Of all flesh, birds and beasts. Now, look at this. Every creeping thing that creeps on the ground, that they may breed abundantly. The words, you can go back to Exodus 1 verse 7. Vayish retu is that creeping things that creeps on the ground that it can increase abundantly. What is it talking about? Creepy crawlies, insects. It is talking about things that crawl on its belly on the ground, that they may multiply. This is the way Egypt saw Israel. They were creepy crawlies. They were multiplying exceedingly. It's dehumanizing. They were seen as less than human. This is the way the Egyptians viewed them. You see how the genocide was possible? Now, you're going to be shocked. Pharaoh now starts his cunning, xenophobic propaganda. Exodus 1 verse 9. Now, remember, none of this is true. This is propaganda. Politicians lie when they speak. He says to his people, Behold, the Israelites are too many, they are too mighty for us. They outnumber us both in people and in strength. Let us come and deal with them shrewdly. Deal with them shrewdly. Why? Lest they multiply more. So what is his plan? We need to do something to prevent this increase. So this is the plan of xenophobia. We're going to do something. Shrewdly indicates to us that is, in his opinion, Israel was already very clever. So he's saying, we need to be more shrewd than them. We have to prevent them from increasing. So the next thing that he says, and should a war befall us, was there a war? No. He's making this up. He's building this image of, a, you know, there's going to be a real threat. And he's saying, and they join our enemies, and they fight against us. So what is he saying? We need to deal shrewdly. I'm going to say reduce, but you know, 
reduce their numbers because they are a threat. There's a threat of war. Was there a threat of war? No. None whatsoever. But this is Pharaoh's propaganda. Pharaoh then placed officers over them. So let's go verse 12. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more they multiplied and expanded. And they were vexed. That word vexed. The Hebrew word is kutz. Sounds like kutz. What does the Hebrew word kutz mean? Abhorred them. They loathed them. They were disgusted by them. They hated them. They had a sickening dread for them. That's what it means. So the Egyptians looked at them after everything they've tried, and these guys are still multiplying. What are they saying? Yes, we hate these people. Pharaoh's plan seemed to have succeeded. But now look how clever those two midwives are. When Pharaoh goes to them and says, why didn't you listen to me? Exodus 1 verse 19. And the midwives answered Pharaoh. They could have put in the brackets his own lie back to him. Because Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. You say we are not human. So there you have it, that's why. Not like humans. So they gave him back his own lie. So, by looking at the words cunningly, less than human, a threat to us, it reminds me, and I didn't come up with this idea myself, some rabbis point this out, Genesis 3, the serpent, he was less than human, but he could walk and talk, and after he beguiled them, he was cursed to now crawl. So up until then, he could walk and talk, most probably. And he became a serpent. So Moses throwing his staff onto the ground, it became a serpent. Egypt threw Israel into the ground and viewed them as serpents. So what God does is he says, I heard it, I saw it, I know. I'm going to redeem you from this. So let me recap. Third sign, water now turned to blood. This is actually the first plague, right? Second one, hand, leprous. This is the stillborns. This is the tenth plague. Now I know some of you may argue, and it's good if you argue with me so then I can correct you. Um, oh, come on, it's not that funny. <laughs> tenth plague. Now, interesting, out of the, all the tenth plagues, this is the only one that the Bible actually calls a plague. You can go and read it. This is the only one the Bible calls a plague. It infers Exodus, let's go there, Exodus 11 verse 1. It is inferred, God said to Moses, Yet I will bring one plague more. One plague more means there were others, but none of the others were called a plague. There, the Hebrew word plague, nega. What is a nega? A plague. I just told you. <laughs> okay, so how do I say the hand, leprous hand, is the killing of the firstborn? Or not? No, no. It is the stillborn children. It's got nothing to do with firstborn. A stillborn child doesn't mean a firstborn, correct? 
So how do I say this is the tenth plague? The tenth plague was the death of the firstborns. And it's the word nega. God makes sure that we make this link. In Leviticus 13, 60 times the word nega is used. 60 times referring to the plague of leprosy. God wants to make sure that when we see the word nega, we need to know he's talking about leprosy. If he's talking about leprosy, and, and that is what he talks about, the 10th plague, he's making the connection for us. He's saying, this 10th plague is about the leprosy. So this one, the leprous hand, it's the 10th plague. I didn't make that connection. Okay, it's the scripture. So it is in the scripture. There's no doubt about it. This plague did not come unexpectedly. In Exodus 4 verse 22, we see that when God tells Moses to go, he says to him, go and tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. If you don't let them go, I'll kill your firstborn. This is a negotiation strategy that I really like. You know, you don't, you don't mess around. You tell them exactly what's going to happen. And this is what God told him. Now, to avoid this plague, Israel had to prepare their own homes. And they had to reenact a birth process. Because it's about the killing of the firstborn, Israel had to. So their houses became a womb. They had to select a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and smear it on the entrance of the womb to prepare a birth process. Then they had to prepare the lamb in a specific way. We do not see it in the text, but once I've told you, we will never see it differently. Let's put it up. Exodus 12 verse 9. This is how the lamb is to be prepared. Eat it not raw, nor boiled in water, but roast it. Now listen to this. Its head, and other translations put this a bit clearer, with its legs, with its inner part. In other words, in the fetal position. Head against the legs towards its inner parts. Fetal position. This is the way that the lamb had to be prepared, in the fetal position. Okay. Now look at verse 12, Exodus 12, verse 12. God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and smite all the firstborn in the land, man and beast, against the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. So this judgment was on the gods of Egypt. The killing of the firstborn was God's way of judging the other gods to show how helpless they are against him. So, of course, the first sign... So that deals with the second sign. The first sign, if we go down first, second, third sign, we go first plague, tenth plague, what is left? It has to link at some process. Where does this link? Crossing of the Red Sea. How do I make that connection? Well, I rely on the scriptures. So Pharaoh's propaganda, Exodus 1 verse 10, he says, let us deal with them shrewdly, lest they multiply more and war should befall us. So remember the word war? I wrote it down here. And they escape. Now remember, this was his whole propaganda. Now let's look at Exodus 14 verse 25, what happened. 
So their wheels became clogged up in this soil and that made it very difficult for them to drive. Now let me just go back here. When God gave Moses the sign of the staff and he threw it down and he turned into a snake, I said that Moses fled from the serpent. The Hebrew says he fled from the face of the snake. He ran away from the face of the snake. Look at this. And the Egyptians said, let us run away, flee from the face of Israel. They're calling Israel a snake. So let us run away from the face of the snake. For, here's the war, the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So Egypt did end up in a war, but not against the snake, against the God of Israel. That links this to the crossing of the Red Sea. So what have we seen so far? We've seen that God hears, he sees, and he knows, he experiences, and he's concerned about everything that you and I have gone through. He's concerned about it. Everything that was done to us, he's concerned about, and he's committed, as committed as he was with Israel, and as we saw that the signs that he gave them, they didn't have to believe the sign itself, they had to believe the voice. In other words, Behind the sign, there was something being said. So we do not believe what our eyes tell us. We have to discern. Hebrews 5 verse 14 says, basically, we have to practice to discern the good and the evil. In other words, what is profitable to the kingdom and what is dangerous to the kingdom. This is what we need to discern. But let me take you to another passage in the Bible. In John 4 verse 4, you know what is coming up. The woman at the well. And it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. The King James says that he must go to Samaria. Now, just to put the geographically in place, if this was the whole of, of Israel, Jerusalem and Judah was the bottom part. Then we have Samaria in the center part. Then we had Galilee on that side. The Jordan River would come down here. So if somebody from Jerusalem wanted to go to Galilee, they had to cross over because this is Israel, that is Israel, Samaria in between. They didn't like each other as much as the Russians and the Ukrainians don't really get along. So if somebody from Russia wants to go to Europe and he says, but I'm going to go through Ukraine, what is he saying? I've got a death wish. Jesus, for him to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, had to cross the Jordan River, walk up here, then cross the Jordan River again and go into Galilee. Six days walking. If he goes straight through, he's got a death wish, but it'll take him three days. He didn't do it because of time. He didn't try and save time. I believe he fulfilled a prophecy. In Ezekiel 37, we read, so this is the prophecy, the vision that Ezekiel had. Take a stick and write on it, Judah. It's the bottom half. Then take another stick right upon a Joseph, which is the northern tribes, which is what was eventually Samaria, and join them together in one stick, that they may become one in your hand. Verse 19, say to them, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of the Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, and I will join it with the stick of Judah, and make them one, that they shall be one in my hand." So this vision, this prophetic word, had to be fulfilled. 
Samaria, who was part of Israel, part of the northern tribes, the remnant of the northern tribes, and the southern tribes, which is Judah, had to be reunited. I think this is why, when we go back to John 4 verse 4, that the text says he had to go. He had to go because he had to fulfill this prophecy. Now, he meets up with a woman. And this woman, a lot of scholars and a lot of Bible commentators paint her not too good. She's painted as a woman of ill repute, and I would say to you, it's not true. I believe this woman had lost five husbands due to war, pestilence, uh, an accident, sickness, hunger, whatever. She had lost five husbands, tragically lost five husbands. She then dedicated her life to studying the Word. Now, the Sumerians, they only read the first five books. This is probably not true because we don't know. Very likely they don't because they never quote any of the Psalms and they never quote any of the prophets. So it seems like they only read the five books of Moses. So this is what this woman knew. Now, I have a whole study on that, so I'm not going to go into detail, but let me tell you this. I spoke to Tanya the other day, and I said, if there's a group of people and they're having a conversation, and I join the conversation, how long will it be before the conversation turns to the Word of God? A few minutes. One, two minutes. Why? Because this is where I live. How long did it take her to turn the conversation to the Gospels? Now, she went to Sihar, the city where she came from. And she was, it was seemingly easy for her to get an audience. If she was a woman of ill repute, with a woman of ill repute, there's deceit, there's lies, there's rejection. How would she get that audience if this is who she was? So I want to propose to you that she was a respected elder amongst the Samaritans. And, and there's going to be another verse that comes up that I want to show to you. So what happens? Jesus says to her, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. In this you have spoken truly. Now go to the next verse, verse 19. I want to put this up. And she says, sir, I see that you understand and, and understand that you're a prophet. Okay, so she recognizes him as a prophet. The next verse. He's just told her everything that was done to her. What does she do with the conversation? Where should I worship? You see, if she didn't know what happened to the Israelites, how did she jump from knowing that God knows everything that was done to me to worship? She now wants to worship. This is her concern. Where should I worship? Okay. Now, look at John 4, verse 29. She's in Sichar, and she says, Come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Now, how did I come to everything ever done to you? And she's saying, ever did. Well, it just so happens that there are hundreds of ancient texts of the Bible. A minority and I'm stressing this, a minority has the following words. Come and see a man who told me 
everything ever done to me. Not everything I ever did. Everything ever I did seems as if the scholars are correct to say she's a lady of ill repute. Everything ever done to me lines up. It lines up perfectly. So how many things have you gone through in life? And God is concerned about it. Now what happens? Um, Steve, can you go? I know it's not a verse that I put up. Um, Exodus 12, 38. Uh, when the Israelites left, a mixed multitude also went with them. Why? Most probably, when they saw what God was going to do and they were convinced and they believed it, they told others and they said, come with us. A mixed multitude also went with them. What did this woman of Samaria do? Once she understood everything that was ever done to her is a concern of God and is committed to redeem that, she asked him where to worship. And then she went and she called others. Now you can read the rest for homework. Go and read the rest of chapter 4. What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, one has sown and another one reaps. Who sowed? She sowed. She'd been evangelizing that city all along. And now Jesus comes and they ask him, stay two more days. And the scripture says, many of them came to believe. So there we have it. If, if we can only take this one thing, remember last Sunday when Pastor John preached, the second last verse that he quoted. Can you remember that? Uh, yeah. Galatians 4 verse 1. As long as the air... Sorry? Yeah, but Galatians 4 verse 1, as long as the heir is still a child, and then he used the Greek word, nepios, does not speak. As long as the heir does not speak, does not differ from a slave. So as long as Israel did not speak out this redemption, they were still slaves. As long as you sit under the condition that you are, and you do not believe that God heard, saw, and knew, and, ex and is concerned about it, and he is committed to redeem it, if you do not speak the redemption, if you do not speak the outcome, you will remain a slave. So with that in mind, I thank you for your patience. I have gone way, way, way over time, 46 minutes. <laughs> but you were so kind, you didn't get up and walk out. You didn't tell me to hush, and I really appreciate it. But I want to give you this opportunity. If there's anybody who feels like their life is hopeless, they have no hope, they've done everything they could, and there's still no outcome, I want to stand with you, and I want to pray with you that your faith be strengthened. God is giving you signs. Do not look at the sign, but listen to the voice. Isaac was blessing his two sons. He heard the voice and he said, oh, that sounds like Esau. No, that sounds like Jacob. 
And then he looked at the sign and he said, but the sign says it is Esau. So what he saw with his feelings was Esau, but the voice was Jacob. If he had listened to the voice, he would not have been deceived. So I want, I want you to be careful. And that's why I want to reiterate Hebrews 5 verse 14. We have to exercise to discern. Exercise to discern. That is when we eat the meat. So with that, bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the richness of your word. I thank you so much that we have so much to learn in your word and that you are concerned with us, that you see everything that we go through. You hear our cries and that you are committed to redeem it. Father, I pray for every one of your children right now who's sitting in, the, in a situation where they feel that they're hopeless. Everything that they've tried, nothing works. Nobody seems to, to stretch out a hand. Father, I pray that they would get the right words to speak, that they would speak the redemption so that you can act on it. And I thank it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. J.D., you want to say anything? Death and life is in the power of the Amen. tongue. What do we speak? What do we speak? We speak life. You know, um, that's why I've, I don't watch the news because I know Amen. it affects me. Amen. You can feel what's in the atmosphere. I think the closest I get to the news is the lamp, the lamp poles, you know. Oh, this is, this is what Zuma is doing or this is what... You know, that other Malema is doing is like, Jesus, save them. <laughs> you know, because I know it affects me. If it affects you, don't go there. You know, let's speak the word. Amen. That was good. Bless you, bless you. Um, we've got basically 10 minutes before 11. We've finished. So I think, could we do this quickly? While you're sitting, what are you facing? And in this atmosphere, in this anointing atmosphere of the word, I want you to speak against it. Speak the outcome. Can we sit while you're sitting right now? Just close your eyes. And what are you, whatever you're facing, whatever, if it's somebody that you say, God, that person needs to get back. That, you know, salvation, um, healing. Speak that word. Speak that word. finances as well. Declare laugh over your finances. Mm. Whatever sickness you might know of or facing, just say, Father, I declare healing and life and perfection. You need breakthrough in your life. If you've got any kind of addiction, you just speak to yourself and say, I'm free. I'm set free right now. John mentioned last week, you know, son, servants cry, son, prophesy, we prophesy, we prophesy, we speak, we say, this is how it's going to be. You know, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof. The earth is for you. We are, this is our inheritance. You know, you know, we rule, we reign. 
The kingdom of God is here. you that I, we all just in agreement right now for every heart's desire, for every need, for every prayer request and I just want to say yes and amen to every single need and request, prayer request right now in Jesus mighty name. Father I want to thank you that we're going to see things changing. Lord we're not going to shrink back, we're going to run our race and we're going to be bold we're going to be strong. Father we're not going to um, <laughs> I just think of um Joshua, you know, they all see the giants in their own eyes. <laughs> you know, they in their own eyes, they're giants. But if they actually just got a bit of more perspective that God said we can do this and we can we can take this land. And Father, thank you that we will not grow weary, but we will stand strong. We'll stand strong on your word. Oh, oh, Father, thank you that we will run our race, Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you that we're going to see just answers to prayers, Father. We're going to just see more and more people saying, oh, I spoke it and I just spoke about it and it happened. Father, thank you for, I declare and prophesy breakthrough of every person right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Bless you. Have a great week. There is spaghetti bolognese for 40 Rand. And uh, come join us for fellowship. And we'll see you next week. So have a supernatural blessed week. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Andre. Give him a round of applause. Yeah, what a word. What a word. What a word. What a word. Bless you. See you next week.